following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. What if I were to offer you the Never Fail, Always Work Guide to a Great Marriage? Would you read it? Uh, what about students? If I could give you the perfect formula for maintaining incredible friendships, would that interest you? Or uh, as a spiritual leader, what if today I were to give you the secrets to getting along with others that you might minister with, would that also appeal to you? Uh, would that be valuable? And for all of you, if the Lord Jesus Christ were actually here physically in this morning and said, I have the ultimate steps to assist you in making every decision that you face, would you actually respond to that? Would you want to hear what he has to say? Well, today is that day. Today is wisdom. True wisdom. Biblical wisdom. Wisdom from above. In fact, the Lord speaks to us through his half-brother James here, uh, describing God's true wisdom, which not only is necessary to give evidence that you are a genuine believer, but also it is crucial for you to maintain a healthy marriage and genuine friendships and genuine ministry relationships. Absolutely crucial. So if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3. If you're new with us, we're working our way through the book of James, and we're now in verses 17 and 18. Last time we studied 13 through 16, which was man's wisdom, and today we're looking at God's wisdom, which really is the key to relationships, the key to living with one another. In fact, he's giving us really two sources of wisdom here. He talks about man's wisdom and God's wisdom. He talks about wisdom from above and wisdom from below, wisdom from heaven and wisdom from earth. And he wants to make sure you know that there's a huge difference. In fact, James writes his scattered and battered, mostly Jewish people, and he says, now I want you to pursue God's wisdom and reject man's wisdom. Reject it. Get this. Man's wisdom comes from reason. God's wisdom comes from revelation. It's the truth. And understand, James includes wisdom as one of his tests of true salvation. Now, if you've been with us as we're studying James, you'd know that joy in trial and accepting responsibility for your sin and also dealing with one another with fairness and, and inequity and impartiality, chapter 2, guarding your speech, chapter 3, have all been tests to evaluate whether we're genuinely born again or not. And now he's going to tell us about wisdom, God's wisdom. And he's asking you to compare real faith with phony faith and in verse 13 through 18, man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. So then, how do you know you live by God's wisdom and not man's? Well, you could ask some basic practical questions like, do I live by God's word or gut feeling? You know, do I just go with the flow and whatever I think is right? Or do I search the scripture or do I make random decisions? Do I depend in prayer on the spirit of God? Or do I kind of reason through my options? It's really that basic of an issue. And the biggest way you can tell that you're living by God's wisdom over man's wisdom is how it's demonstrated in your relationships. In your relationships. 
You say, really? Yeah, look at the context. I don't want to make this up. We're going to talk a lot about your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your parents, and your friends, etc., and one another in ministry. But you say, is that really what this text is saying? Yes, it is. If you take a look before this particular passage, what did he teach on? The tongue, how you communicate to people, right? And then what comes right after this talk on wisdom? He's talking about the source of conflicts among people. He's dealing with wisdom here as it's expressed towards people. It's the whole focus here is relationships. And wisdom is seen in the midst of relationships with people. And I think and I hope you'll be blown away by how wisdom can strengthen your marriage, can strengthen your parenting, can strengthen your relationship with your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. That's really the, the intent of what he's talking about here. We want to understand the author's intended message. Well, the context would drive us to say, this is wisdom not just so that you can be lethereal wise. You know what I mean, lethereal? Where you're just like, I'm just a wise guy. You know, I kind of walk around thinking that I'm wise. You know? that, that's how the Greeks looked at it. But how the Hebrews and how the Christians look at it is how we deal with one another. That's how it's planned out. So read aloud with me, if you would, verses 17 and 18 from your outline, and we're going to take a look at these two verses in depth today. Here we go, ready? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now what in the world is he talking about here? Well, the chart in your outline should help you understand kind of the basic format of where James is going here in these verses. And he's comparing the unwise to the wise by exposing their heart, which I call the core, that's the center there. And then he talks about the characteristics that come out of that heart that come from wisdom. And then finally, the conduct of both human wisdom and God's wisdom. So first, James exposed the heart issue, the core issue, are you saved or are you not saved? If you're unsaved, then verse 14, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition will rule your life. And then that human wisdom will demonstrate itself with arrogance, dishonesty, worldliness, naturalness, and demonic characteristics. And the result will be conduct, and the conduct, look at verse 16, will be disorderly and evil. Now, he uses the same outline when he talks about God's wisdom. So what he does there is he basically says to the saved who live by God's wisdom, the core heart issue is you're going to have good behavior and gentle deeds. True faith works, right? Faith without works is dead. So true faith is going to work itself out. And the core heart issue is there's going to be good behavior and gentle deeds. And then there'll be that new heart will show itself in verses 17 with the characteristics of, that come out of that heart which are explained here in verse 17. And then verse 18, we'll talk about the relational conduct that comes out of that kind of behavior and that kind of commitment. So the passage is pretty straightforward. Number one, the test of wisdom. Verse 13 asked us way back when, when we studied it two weeks ago, do you want to live your way or do you want to live God's way? It'll show by whether you live by man's wisdom or by God's wisdom. Now, we all know <laughs> that there are people who want to be miserable. <clears throat> uh, they, they want to yell at their spouse. They want to ignore their kids. They want to scream at bad drivers. They want to use swear words. They want to cruise through their so-called Christian life thinking that they're right and everybody else is wrong. Now, that's the unwise. 
And those are the people who live by the, the taint, number two, of false wisdom. And that's verses 14 through 16. But what about those who want to live from the wisdom from above, God's wisdom? Well, that's number three in your outline. We finally got there, the traits of true wisdom. The traits of true wisdom. At verse 13, he already exposed the heart of the born-again, biblically wise, who demonstrate God's wisdom with their good behavior, their deeds done in gentleness. Listen, if you're definitely born again, then that wisdom is going to come out in the sense of saying you have a heart that wants to do what pleases the Lord. And if that's your heart, then first the core of true wisdom, then it's going to show itself by these key characteristics. Wisdom is not intellectual musings one more time. It's not just philosophical thinking. Again, we have somewhat of a Greek base in our culture, so we think that way, but that's not how the Bible looks at it. When the Bible says wisdom, the first thing you ought to think about is behavior. Behavior. Because when you're truly wise, it changes the way you live. And sometimes we who love the truth can get really caught up in understanding the truth but not applying the truth. And we make a big deal about that at our church. You need to understand that. You might be uncomfortable here at FBC. And the reason is, is because we want to make sure that you don't just know the truth, but you live the truth. Does that make sense? That wisdom is lived out. That it's real in your life. That you're just not an, a doctrinal superstar, but you're actually a biblicist in the sense of that you live the scripture. You're seeking to apply the scripture because that is true wisdom. True wisdom lives it out. So what you have is for the believer, there's multiple definitions of wisdom, but it's skillfully applying biblical knowledge in practical life. Skillfully applying practical, you know, biblical knowledge in, in everyday life. Wisdom is the skill of living righteously, living biblically, living. Uh, wisdom is living right, especially in your marriage and especially in your family and your uh, friendships and your ministry relationships. Well, you say, Chris, what will that look like? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. That's number two in the outline, the characteristics of true wisdom. That's what it's going to look like. Read verse 17. As I read aloud, you read silently. But the wisdom from above, God's wisdom, is first what? Pure. I'll say it again. It's first what? Pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Now we're going to take a look at those. And see how that relates to relationships. So first, or one, pure. The wisdom from above is first pure. Now this wisdom, this attribute, this characteristic of wisdom stands above the rest. James writes it in such a way that he's, he's talking about more than just first on the list when he writes it this way. He actually, the first there, describes first in order of importance. So the most important element of wisdom is what? Say it. Purity. Purity. Now what does he mean? Well, God's wisdom is true. Wisdom from above is most importantly first pure. And if your wisdom comes from above, from God, then it will be pure like he is pure. I mean, think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the incredible attributes of Christ was his sinless purity, right? Absolute holiness. Uh, Every thought, every deed, every word that he spoke, absolutely sinless. In fact, even his enemies couldn't find a fault, a sin, or a blemish. They had to make up stuff, right, about Christ. So we're talking about the sinless Son of God here, absolute purity. And 
as you hope to see Christ face to face someday soon, then you, if you have a born-again heart, will have a new heart that desires to be pure like he is pure. That's exactly what 1 John 3, 3 says. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus Christ, purifies himself just as he is what? Pure. So James is saying of most importance is purity. And the Greek word purity is translated this way in the New Testament. Listen, holy, chaste, cleanliness, unspotted, innocent, free from defilement, and free from contamination. And James's point here is the heart that has been made pure in salvation will desire to live pure. One more time. The heart that has been made pure in salvation will desire to live pure. Will you live perfectly, yes or no? No, but you will desire purity. And as a Christian, you've been delivered from sin's penalty and power, and someday the very presence of sin, but in that sanctification process, and again, without this sanctification, you can't see the Lord, according to Hebrews, but understand that you will desire to avoid sin and live pure. So this word pure was also used by the ancient Greeks. So before you would go into a God's presence, you had to go through a ceremony, the purity ceremony, in order to go into the, the false God's presence. So they even understood, the pagans, that, that you should only be approached in approaching the Lord with a pure heart. Even the city of Delphi had this inscription. It says, which he who would enter the divine temple must be pure. They, they, they thought of that. They understood that. So God expects Christians to pursue holiness. You know that. And desire to live pure. You've been made pure, so live pure. That's through confession of sin. A regular process of a Christian life is, Lord, is there anything that, that has you know, gotten in between in our relationship? Well, confess that. Is there any repenting or turning from sin that needs to be? If you're struggling with sin, you get help from brothers and sisters over sin. That's Galatians 6. It's everywhere that we want to be pure before the Lord. We're always going to be in this battle until heaven. But understand, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Right? And James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Now, the first step then in relational focus and relational difficulty is to make sure your own heart is what? Pure. Not, not that it's perfect, but there's nothing there. Now, you're missing probably the main point, so I want you to grab onto it. Are you ready? The issue is not them. Wisdom from above says, make sure your heart is what? Pure. Is there anything in me, Lord, that's contributing to this? One of the best ways that you can have an argument with your spouse, the best ways, is the first question you ask yourself is, what's bugging me and what's my problem? What's my problem? What am I bringing to the table here? A lot of, a lot of situations are, I don't want to be like my mother, you know? I don't want to be like my dad. Well, if you understand that, it's going to change the way you dialogue with your spouse, Right? Because you're examining what? Your heart first. Your friends, they bug you. They say something. It hurts you. It's like, what's your problem? Not what's their problem. What's your? See, you need to check to see where you're failing, what you did or didn't do. Don't focus on them. Focus on your heart. I teach pastors all the time. They're going, man, my church is bugging me. And I'm going, have you examined your heart? Maybe, most likely, it's you. Not them. It's you. You've got the problem. You know what makes great elders? Is elders who check their own heart first. Guys who go, hey, I want to make sure that I'm not bringing my issues to the table here. 
Husbands and wives in marriage, check your heart first. Confess your sin first. What do you bring into the table? What's your problem? Why does this bother you? Children with parents, parents with children. Where are you responsible? Starting place of wisdom is to see if you're pure. Your heart's right before God. Does that make sense? Your heart is right. That's the key. And that's what he's saying here. Make sure, look, you've been made pure. Live pure. Make sure your heart's right. Because if you understand why certain things are, you know, going on in your heart, it's going to change the way that you dialogue. Correct? And that's wisdom from above. Don't you love that? Very practical. If you can go down that road, man, and stop yourself, you're well on your way to healthier relationships. So the starting place of wisdom, practically, relationally, is purity. Your heart, is it relationally right with Christ? That's the wisdom from above. Secondly, peaceable. Peaceable. In contrast to the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition of verses 13 and 14 in this passage of the unwise, the unsaved, God-given wisdom produces peaceable relationships. Did our Lord Jesus Christ make peace with us, yes or no? Sure, and the Lord gave you his peace. So now, wisdom from above will result in peace in how you deal with people. Our natural tendency in our own strength is to be fleshly. Instead of peaceable, we want to be argumentative, quarrelsome, belligerent, you know, quick-tempered. But the Lord's supernatural life within us guards against alienated others because true wisdom will actually seek to remove ill will between you and another person. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the, what? Peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So the truly wise don't enact conflict through selfishness, but they engender peace through humility. And James will show us in chapter 4 that man's wisdom, man's wisdom, human wisdom, will lead to conflict and strife. He's going to tell us that in chapter 4. But God's wisdom will generate peace because you've been saved by the Prince of Peace. Think about it. This just blows me away. God made peace with you at the very moment you were defying and rebelling against Him. He made peace with you. So wisdom from above has that ability to make peace with even those being defiant. Does that make sense? Because it's God's wisdom. Wisdom's peace is based on holiness, not compromise. God never calls for peace at any price. So don't go down that road. Christ wasn't a pacifist. One more time. Christ wasn't a pacifist. He cleaned out the temple with a whip. That's not passive, okay? Are you with me? Uh, He openly opposed those who were misleading his people. He called them hypocrites and snakes, vipers. The peace of the church is not important than the purity of the church. We need to make sure you understand that. Christians and the church can never make peace by sweeping sin under the rug. In fact, I want to write this down. Man's wisdom says cover up sin to make peace. God's wisdom says confess sin in order to make peace. Man's wisdom cover up sin, God's wisdom confess sin. So after you've examined your own heart and purity, then you seek to make certain that your heart in relationship is at peace with others. What does he say? The Bible affirms this elsewhere. Romans 12 verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with how many men? All men. As far as it depends on you. So God's wisdom would move you to make peace. Don't listen. Some of you love to hang on to stuff. Would you admit that? Oh, don't nod your head, okay? 
But some of you like to hang on to, oh, you know, she hurt me, and you just burn, you know. Some of you gals have a list that's so long, and all he has to do is step out of line once, and bam, boom, 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 boom. Man, you got that list ready to go, you did this, you did this, you did this. Isn't that lovely? Listen, don't sit and soak and sour, and don't allow sin to ferment into bitterness. Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Make peace. Wisdom from above drives you to make things right in your relationships. And if I could put this on the husbands, you know what headship means, guys? It means that if it isn't going anywhere, then it's your responsibility to make sure it goes somewhere. You're responsible. You say, well, she did it. Yeah, but you're responsible to make sure that you pursue peace. And you've heard me say this story too many times, but I'll tell you one more time. And Gene gave me permission, right? We had one of those, one of those discussions called arguments, okay? We were really mad, really mad. She's laying in bed, sun's just gone down, and I'm thinking, I got to do something, right? And I go, honey... Honey, we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger. And she said, it's already down. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, takes work, right? Takes work. 41 years, we got through it. Okay, so, number three, gentle. Gentle, a third characteristic of the biblically wise is gentleness. Uh, this is a different Greek word than the Greek word translated gentleness in verse 13. That, that one in verse 13 was based on humility. This gentle, though it's translated gentle, same word, it's a different word in the Greek language. It means equitable and moderate and yielding. Now, you want to write this definition down. It's one who surrenders his rights for a higher ideal. Surrenders his rights for something more important. Uh, I got to tell you, today when people feel their rights are being violated, they strike back with a lawsuit, right? An argument, a bad review. I mean, we're all there. We can all fall into this uh, over sometimes the most insignificant offenses. And even so-called Christians will snub or talk down or even want to hurt other people in the process. But that's the world's wisdom. That's petty. That's contentious. That's selfish. That's bitter. That's the world's wisdom. God's wisdom, we meet petty infractions with our, uh, of our rights with a different ethic. What did Jesus say? This is tough stuff here, okay? Jesus said, I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat also. Now, one commentator calls this gentleness sweet reasonableness. It carries the meaning of moderation without compromise, kindness without weakness. Again, it doesn't mean you're a pushover. It means that the gentle saint does not deliberately cause fights. You're not exacerbating the situation. That's what he's saying. Uh, he doesn't compromise the truth. I know one couple that they used to, they, he, that when they get in an argument, he would just walk away. And he'd go, well, let's talk about it later. Let's talk about it later. Let's talk about it later. And she'd be chasing him around the house, you know, going, I want to deal with it, you know, right now. And he'd go, no, 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 we'll talk about it later. And what he's trying to do is just like, let, let it cool down so we can talk. Let it cool down so we can deal with one another. And describing Christ, listen to how Christ was. Listen to his heart, the Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he would not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. 
Now, this imagery points to Christ caring for and ministering the most broken, the most useless, the most burned out people. Christ was gentle, gentle. He even calls shepherds here and, and elders and disciplers in the church to be gentle. 2 Timothy chapter 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but what? Kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong. And look at that word there, verse 25, with what? Gentleness. That's so, that's, that's, that's so much of what I need to learn and grow in. Correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. So wisdom in your relationship demands that you want to examine your own heart first. Making sure that you're pure before the Lord. There's nothing that's hampering your relationship. That you're certain that you're dealing with your failures, your weaknesses, your sin first. That's your first concern. Secondly, you're pursuing peace. You want to make peace. You want to be right with one another. And then you're doing so with gentleness. You're deciding not to quarrel, to be kind, to be patient over things that they've wronged you with. And then just in case you're not getting it, James adds, number four, reasonable. Reasonable. The Greek word here appears only here in the New Testament. Reasonable. It comes from two Greek words, well and persuaded. When together they mean easily persuaded. That's what reasonable means, or easily persuaded. Now, don't get the wrong idea. This is not, again, a naive pushover. He's not saying you compromise truth, but what he is saying is that if there's a husband-wife issue or a friendship issue, you kind of say, you know what, I'm going to put stubbornness aside here. I'm just not, I'm, you know, that, that doesn't fit here. That's human wisdom. Divine wisdom would be, I, I want to be reasonable. I want to be learning. I, I always want to be a learner. That's what a disciple means. You understand that. You're learning constantly. And everything that God's taking us through in life is, is a learning opportunity, correct? It's a way that we learn more about Christ. Even our society, as it declines, it's a way that we learn more about Christ. Treasure the things that are most important in life, correct? We treasure eternity. We treasure Christ. We treasure the church. Those kind of things. Understand, you want to make sure that you're evaluating that. And really, you're, what you're saying here is you're, you're ready to yield to the truth. Yield to the truth. I, I'd say this way. The direct way of saying this, reasonable means you want what's right over what you want. You want what's right over what you want. You want what's right. <clears throat> My family, this is, again, what makes a plurality of elders work. It's guys who want what's right over what they want. They want what's best for the church over what they want. That's what makes a great husband and a father is they want what Christ wants over what they want. It's not about them. It's about what's best for my wife, what's best for my family. And what's best is what God wants. That's what they want. This is what makes a husband's headship and a wife's submission work. They want what Christ wants over what they want. They want what the Bible teaches over what they think or what they feel every single time. That's reasonableness. That's wisdom from above. God's wisdom makes a believer cooperative, flexible, easy to live with, easy to work with. You know, you should be able to go on vacation with people and they could come back going, that was fun, we enjoyed that, instead of, we ain't never doing that again. <clears throat> Man's wisdom makes people a hard, stubborn, self-centered. Understand, that's why James adds this again, number five, merciful. Merciful. Wisdom from above is not harsh. 
It's seen in giving mercy. In fact, grace is giving people what they don't deserve. Are you ready? Now watch. Mercy is giving them, uh, not giving them what they do deserve. They deserve the silent treatment for what he said. But they get a gracious embrace. They, They deserve to be rejected. But what they get is kindness. Mercy implies looking on someone with compassion when they deserve punishment. Let me say it again. It's looking on someone with compassion when they deserve punishment. While worldly wisdom would heap on judgment, mercy shows acts of kindness. Uh, You know about Napoleon. Napoleon actually demonstrated uh, mercy at one point. There was a man convicted and was about to be executed, and his mother came on his behalf and pled for mercy. And he said, no, 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 this is his second offense. And he, this is a true story. He deserves death. And she says, well, you know, that's, that's what's just. She goes, well, I don't want justice. I want mercy. And Napoleon said, he doesn't deserve mercy. And she, says, hey, she said to him, the mother, she says, well, if, if it's mercy, it's, it's not deserved, it's given. And he relented. Do you understand the difference? It's basically saying it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. He doesn't deserve it. He gets it anyway. And that's heavenly wisdom is mercy. Uh, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And you notice verse 17 says wisdom makes you not merely merciful, but what? Full of mercy. And the word full there is controlled by mercy. A saint who is pursuing God's wisdom is controlled by mercy. Luke chapter 6, verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And God in His mercy doesn't give us what we deserve. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve? And when wisdom is at work in your marriage and in your friendships, wisdom gives kindness to those who don't deserve it. That's why wisdom proves you are genuinely saved, because God gave you his mercy and salvation. Now wisdom demands that you be controlled by mercy towards those who don't deserve it. It's like the Good Samaritan. You know, have compassion on those who need assistance. Like James, excuse me, not James, Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. You're especially kind to the household of faith. Your fellow Christians, especially Christians. And again, true wisdom doesn't keep a list. In an argument, you don't recall the eight infractions they committed against you last month. You don't bring up the old hurts. You forgive. Do you understand what forgiveness is? I don't know if we all understand that. Forgiveness means the release of debt. You know how somebody owes you something and you go, nah, forget it, it's all done. I release you financially from your debt. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is they offended me and now that offense is laid aside. Have you ever done that? You ever done that? Have have you ever had people that so offended you, so hurt you, and you just went, you know what? I'm not going to ever hold that against them ever again. I'm, the, the, the chalkboard is wiped clean. That's heavy. But that's divine. That's amazing. You forgive. You cancel the debts. You dismiss the wounds. All the wrongs done to you. Now, there are, there are some offenses that take time. And there are some relationships that, take, that require the building back of trust. I'm not minimizing that. But forgiveness is releasing them of the debt. It is. And not only are you full of mercy, but sixthly, you're also bountiful. Bountiful. Uh, Wise people are filled with good fruits, full of good fruits. Uh, James ties this closely with the previous quality, mercy. It's probably referring to the outward manifestation of mercy. 
You know what I mean? The outward manifestation when it's the bountiful fruits that come out of a merciful heart. So a person who has a genuine mercy will give bountiful blessings to other people. Faith without works is... So, if you see a friend in need and do nothing, then your faith is useless and God's wisdom moves you to put mercy to work in bountiful, fruitful deeds. A lot of them. And when he says bountiful, he means bountiful. Bountiful means what? A lot. Okay? This isn't rocket science here, okay? So, people who are faithful are fruitful. People who are faithful are fruitful. Do you recall the lawyer in Luke 10? He was willing to discuss the subject of neighborliness, but it was unwilling to be a neighbor. He wasn't going to manifest it. But God's wisdom leads to a change in behavior. The Holy Spirit in a transformed heart produces fruit to the glory of God. You don't want to just say kind words. You want to do kind deeds. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And then he goes on to say, And appointed you. This is all predetermined before the foundation of the world. I appointed you that you would go forth and what? Bear what? Fruit. And that your fruit would what? remain. You're going to be used by God to impact people. You are. God's wisdom is practical. It changes life. It produces good works to the glory of God. And God's wisdom is full of good fruits. Full of good fruits. Which refer to every sort of good deed. Listen, understand it is, is if you're saved, then saving faith will produce good works. It's Christ being manifested through you. So in your relationships, let's look at it one more time. Ready? Look at the passage. First, wisdom demands that you examine your own heart. Pure. Make certain you're pure before God. There's nothing that's, that's contributing to this situation or this circumstance. Two, you seek to make peace. Three, with gentleness. Four, a desire to do what's right over what you want. Five, even though they deserve harshness, you are merciful. Six, even though it seems you should do nothing, you show them good deeds and get good gifts. And if you do that, you will be, number seven, unwavering. Unwavering. You say, man, Chris, okay, this is fantasy land. No, no, this is called spirit-filled living, and it's called growing in maturity, growing in wisdom. Are you going to be here tomorrow, yes or no? No, you're not. Are you, can you make progress in this tomorrow, yes or no? Yes, you can. Spirit-empowered progress by applying God's truth. But understand, unwavering means a steadfast person who's never willing to compromise the truth of Scripture. In other words, it doesn't contradict the earlier attribute of reasonableness. He's not contradicting himself here. Rather, James is describing a balance that true wisdom brings. A wise person doesn't take this quality of steadfastness to the extreme of ornery legalism, nor does the wise person take flexibility to the extreme of compromising an absolute truth. That there's a balance here demonstrated in true wisdom, and it only comes from above. It only comes from God. And this, this word unwavering is, is only used here in the New Testament. And what he's saying, it, it means to not be parted or not to be divided. And what he's saying is you're not vacillating. You're not indecisive. You're not inconsistent. You're not doubtful. What he's talking about here is when you understand that this is what the Word wants and the Word says, you take your stand, Right? You're going to go, you know what, Everybody, everything's pushing against me, but I'm going to take my stand on God's word. The word is a singleness of mind, decisiveness. Um, when you lean on the, the world's wisdom, have you ever noticed that they vacillate? You know, we're going to wear a mask. We're not, oh, I didn't bring that up, did I? <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, 
The world just always changing its mind. But God's wisdom is consistent. It's, it's steadfast. Because it's based on unyielding, unbending truth, right? So you can have a sense of confidence, even in the sense of meekness and mercy and graciousness and reasonableness. You can still go, but no, but this is where I stand. This is where I stand. No wavering. Wisdom from above brings strength from above. And number eight, you're also sincere. And this really describes the unhypocritical. Now, you know where this word hypocritical came from, correct? It came from the Greek dramas. And in the Greek dramas, they'd come out, and if they were, you know, the actor, and they had a big happy face, it was a happy scene, and then they'd go off stage, come back with a big sad face, because it was a sad scene, and they come back on stage again, the same actor, with an angry face, because it was the angry villain scene, and, and that's how they did it. And so they said, he's a hypocrite. It's one guy playing all these different people. And it's, it's, you know, he's putting on different masks. Well, when you're in Christ, the masks come off. You are who you are. You're in Christ. And therefore, you don't have to pretend to be something other than what you are. You can actually be at peace with who you are. That's one of the big dilemmas in Christian maturing is just becoming at peace with who you are and what you're not. Right? You don't have to be anybody else. You just be what God made you to be. And as you are, and as you live that out, you bring a contribution to the body of Christ, you bring God glory, you're at really at peace with who you are. Listen, hypocrites and hypocrisy is one of the main sins that Jesus goes after. Four times in the Sermon on the Mount, he went after hypocrisy. So you want to be genuine. Now some of you are having a hard time, you're like, I don't know if I like myself. Well, I understand, you need to understand how God made you. What he gifted you to do, how you should be serving the way he gifted you to do, and as you do, begin to live out what he intended you to do in life, there's an incredible peace with that. I don't have to be like anybody else. I just be the way that he made me to be. I'm his instrument. I want to be his tool for his glory. And believers are endowed with the spirit of wisdom, which will bring security and sincerity to their lives. And when wisdom is at work, there's a sincere openness and honesty. In fact, Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in what? Love. Now, all masks come off, and believers follow the wig principle. Everybody know what the wig? Write that down, wig. And basically it means what you see is what you get. What you see, you never see you different. The key, guys, men, for your children, so that they don't become hypocrites, is when they see you at church, you're the same there that you are at home. There's never a difference. You live for Christ at home, you live for Christ at church. You live for Christ at work. You're not a hypocrite. You just live for Christ. Wissywig. What you see is what you get. And because our Lord Jesus was transparent, he was honest, never a pretense. His life was an open book. His life was basically a living epistle known and read by all men. Wherever you find people pretending and hiding as Christians, you can be sure the wisdom of the world is governing. Let me say that one more time. Whenever you see God's people pretending or hiding... The world is governing their ministry. Religious politics is an abomination to God. You may have come from a church where that was the norm. You've come to a church where we don't do that. We just don't allow it. It's just, it's it, absolutely improper. We want you to be who you are. We want you to speak openly, genuinely. 
We'll deal with it. We know that you're a sinner. <laughs> I know you're a sinner. You know I'm a sinner, correct? Say amen. Okay, we're all in this together. We're all trying to be what Christ wants us to be. There's no pretense necessary here. None. You don't have to pretend to be better than what you are. You just have to say, I want to be what Christ wants me to be. That's the only requirement at FBC. Not that you're a superstar, that you're just on the road toward Christ-likeness. That's what we desire more than anything. You get it? Genuine faith is living without scheming. Genuine faith, true ministry, is never manipulation. Are you genuine? Are you the same at home as you are at church? You say, Chris, I don't feel like obeying. I don't feel like serving. I don't feel like trusting others. I don't feel like making things right between me and my spouse, my parents, my friends. Listen, friends, obedience is not based on feelings. It's based on your dependent obedience, your dependent will. The key principle is do what's right until it feels right. Do what's right until it feels right. And these characteristics of wisdom from above are life changers. They're relationship repairers. They're a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. They're the same truths taught on the Sermon on the Mount. They're the same truths you find in the New Testament everywhere. This is nothing shocking, but it's all in one text. And He's just going, look, exercise this towards people. It'll change the way you deal with each other. Massively. So James calling you to live by wisdom of the Spirit, not by the wisdom of the flesh. And what will happen, three in your outline, the conduct of true wisdom. What's he say in verse 18? It's very simple. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. He's saying, look it, you're going to produce righteousness. You're going to produce peace. Listen, if you claim to have wisdom like you should... James is saying, then why don't you live, or why do you live like you shouldn't? Uh, James' wisdom here is producing blessing, and the key word here is fruit. If you want to write a definition of fruit, it's spirit-empowered manifestation of Christ's life, words, and actions. It's a spirit-empowered manifestation of Christ's words and his life and his actions. And the conduct of godly wisdom, he's saying here, will impact others. Uh, our life is sowing and reaping. And the Christian who pursues living God's wisdom is going to produce, what's he saying here? Righteousness, not sin. Righteousness, not sin. Peace and not trauma. Uh, he's about to launch into, there's conflict in some of the churches, chapter 4. And he's prepping them, saying, look, if you're applying God's wisdom, there's not going to be this conflict. It's going to deal with it. He's concluding here with, you're going to sow peace, not arguments. Joy, not strife. Now stick with me, okay? What we are is what we live. What we live is what we sow. And what we sow determines what we reap. So it all starts with what we are. And if we live God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace, and we reap God's blessing and salvation, and God's blessing and sanctification. But if we live by man's worldly wisdom, we sow sin we sow strife, and we reap, verse 16, confusion and evil work. That's what he's saying. It's very simple. But don't forget, don't, gotta, you got to rub out your culture. Your culture's telling you wisdom is lethereal thinking, and I'm a wise person. Bible, God expects wisdom to demonstrate itself in the way that you live, especially how you live towards people. Are you getting it? That's what he's saying. So let's take it home. Are you ready? Letter A, like faith without works is dead, so wisdom without Christ-like fruit is empty. 
A person who professes Christ as a Christian is going to prove it by his daily works. And if you're a true believer, you'll possess a new heart, which will desire God's wisdom, manifesting that wisdom in good behavior. And because you have God's wisdom spelled out in Scripture and empowering of the Holy Spirit, you can grow in wisdom. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 1.17 that God may give you a spirit of, what's the word? Wisdom. As a born-again Christian, you will want and you will pursue God's wisdom. Now, some of you are going, man, in my relationships, I'm not seeing a lot of this. Okay, then take a step and say, okay, the next time I'm dealing with an issue, I'm going to first examine my own heart. Start with purity. That's the most important one. And then move on. You're not going to get it all down in a day. Listen, if you know a godly man or a godly woman in this room, or just, just know a godly man or a godly woman, they did not become a godly man or a godly woman in a day. It took years and years and years and years. And trial and trial and trial and trial. And lots of mistakes. Correct? Can I hear an amen to that? So please, set your sights on the process here. Letter B. The first step to healthy relationships is to live by God's wisdom. Uh, Listen, it's not just about thinking differently. It's how you deal with people. And what he's saying here is, one, examine your heart first. Make certain you're pure before God. Seek to make peace, number two. Number three, do so with gentleness. Number four, four, desire to do what's right over what you want. Number five, even though they deserve harshness, you're merciful. Number six, you, you work to show good deeds. You're lavish with your kindness. Seven, you stand firmly on God's word. Eight, you're sincere, you're genuine, unhypocritical. You openly admit your failures. You start to treat that spouse that way. You watch how God blesses your marriage. You start to begin to treat family or friends that way and you will enjoy healthy relationships. Letter C. The pursuit of godly wisdom will require dependent effort. Uh, Would you look at verse 15? Come on, look at verse 15. Please look at it. See the word natural there? You want to circle that word. That's a classic, classic word. Natural. You know what it means to be natural? That's secular. It's, you don't try, it's easy, it's natural, it requires no effort. It takes no work at all to be in the flesh. <laughs> hey, you just keep excusing yourself, go with the flow, you'll produce the fruit of human wisdom, and you'll live in strife and confusion. So, what the Bible's telling you is that, yet yeah, God is the one who accomplished this in salvation, but you have to act upon yourself, and, and, and you have to make concerted effort to be dependent upon Him, to step out. you got to rely on the Spirit of God. you got to make choices to build friendships. You have to have choices to have your identity in Christ and not your career. You'll make choices to stand firm against the devil, against the world, and against your own flesh. You'll make choices to pursue the means of grace, which is corporate worship, service to Christ, gathering in smaller groups, reading and applying the Word, communion and prayer, living in the Spirit. You will not always find this easy. Can I hear an amen that the Christian life is not easy? It is not. That's the the misnomer. Because our salvation is free, we think that, oh man, then this has got to be a breeze. And really, it's you dying Every day. Dying to self every day. It's work, friends. And you say, well, I'm not too good at it. Join the club! It's a work, and we're in it together. And we're going to need each other as things get rougher in our culture. 
and encouraging each other in this. Understand that it isn't natural. It's choices. And it will not be convenient. And it will not be natural. It will be supernatural. Christ through you. Christ through you. And it's going to take time. Some of you are going to work some stuff out. Forgiveness does not come in a day. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. But letter D, you will never become wise without Christ. The message of this world, what's, what's this world telling us? Oh, you're good. And every once in a while you, have, you know, struggle a little. The message of Scripture is you're sinful and that's the why you struggle. And the world's wisdom is telling you the answers are feel good. Live above, uh, you know, and avoiding pain and death. Live to do your own thing. Uh, submit to no one. God's wisdom tells you the only true answer is to, is, is to live for God's glory. To live for life after death. Not this world. To live according to God's word. To submit to Christ as your master. You'll never know peace. You'll never embrace love and enjoy forgiveness and experience purpose until you submit to Jesus Christ. And you know who he is. Christ is God who became a man, lived a perfect life, absolute holy, volunteered to, to offer himself on the cross so all of God's wrath against your sin was poured out on Christ on the cross. He had no sin of his own. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And now when your sin falls on Christ by faith, his righteousness covers you and makes you right with God. And now you're in this process of becoming more of that person, but looking forward to that day, like Frank Santa, when you're freed from sin. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would increase our wisdom. That our wisdom would manifest itself in, in our behavior, and particularly our behavior towards one another. And Father, it's so obvious in this text that he just talked about our speech towards people and now he's talking about wisdom toward people and then he's going to talk about our conflict with people. It's all about how we deal with one another. We pray, Father, that we might be more and more committed to depending on your Spirit, relying on you. And Father, if there are any here who are still playing the game, they, that an external Christianity, would you open their heart would you awaken them to their desperate need of forgiveness and a Savior? Would you encourage them and draw them to yourself so they might have life, abundant life, and eternal life? And we'll give you the glory for what you'll do. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.